In 2009, a 47-year-old Scottish woman named Susan decided that she wanted to fulfill a childhood dream. She had always wanted to sing, and she wanted to be a professional singer. So being from Scotland, she did what any normal 47-year-old Scottish woman would do. She applied to and got accepted to Britain's Got Talent. I always love to watch that one because the accents make everything so cool. So she is going to go on as a 47-year-old in front of Simon Cowell, if you know who he is, and subject herself to the Simonness. I think you get the idea, and the point really isn't that she sang. The point was the reaction, and, and the, the biggest message that you get is those nonverbals. So you saw from the start the rolling eyes, the, oh my gosh, we're going to have to endure something, to not a single person was seated by the end of her performance, including the judges. And so what the, the whole point of this is, is you can't judge a book by its cover. And why is that important? Bill, I thought we were in the middle of a series about inviting people to faith into church, and we are. That is true. But here's the thing. A lot of times when I think about, well, who would I like to invite to church? If I'm honest, it's probably someone who looks a lot like me, who thinks a lot like me, who has the same interests that I do. And a lot of times we may think about, well, who would be a, quote, successful person that I would want to hang around not necessarily the people that you wouldn't want to invite. You see, we can't judge a book by its cover. And that's one thing that Jesus repeatedly shows us, because who does he hang around with? Well, not who you would expect. Now, before I get started, here's the caveat of this whole thing. I'm not saying that it's bad to be successful. I'm not saying that it's, you're not going to hang out with Jesus if you're wealthy or, or you're doing well. The point is, Jesus cares about everyone. The last time I checked, John 3.16 says he came to save the world. That means good, bad, indifferent, poor, rich, doesn't matter your skin color, none of that matters. What matters is that Jesus came for us all. And so we, we begin to think about who do we invite to church, who do we invite to faith, into that faith conversation. It's really about everyone. Because if we judge a book by its cover we might miss out on the most amazing story. Now, <clears throat> the thing that we're, we're going to jump into today, if you're playing the home game, is, is James chapter 2. So if you want to turn to your scripture, James chapter 2, and I am going to put the words on the screen today, Claire, just for you. All right? Uh, so we're going to jump into James chapter 2. Now, to, to set the stage, James is writing to a church who is experiencing a problem with favoritism, specifically regarding wealth. Because the city that he's writing to has a wide disparity. They're the very wealthy and the very poor. And as people are coming into this Christian movement, he's realizing that they're favoring the rich for whatever reason. Maybe it's because they desire the money. Maybe it's because they're just more fun to hang around. Maybe it's because they bring food and everybody gets to eat. I don't know. But the point is they are making favoritism a big deal and thus excluding those people who have less means from Jesus. And James is not happy about that. If you've ever read the book of James, James does not beat around the bush. James is like cheesecake. It's so rich, you can only read a little bit at a time. We just, wow, he's beating me up. But it's true. And if we put ourselves in that, we can see it as well. So let's jump into James chapter 2. I'm just going to read it at first, then we're going to come back and we're going to dissect a little bit. He says this, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. 
Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Now, let's pick apart this for just a second here, because like I said, James does not beat around the bush. The bottom line of all this is don't show favoritism. I mean, it couldn't be any more clear, right? It's like, what does he really mean, uh, don't show favoritism? That, that's what he means. So no matter what walks in the door, no matter who the conversation is about, no matter what you see when you look at person, when you're thinking about that faith conversation, like there's no way that Christ could work in this person's life. They are so messed up, so far beyond reach, that I don't even want to deal with their mess. And Jesus says, I'll deal with their mess. You just deliver the message. And then be willing to walk beside them if that's what Christ decides. So don't show favoritism. I could pretty much say amen, and we could all go home and be happily ever after. But if you're like me, you want to know why. Okay, I get it. Don't show favoritism. But why? Because in my heart, I'm actually a three-year-old, right? Why? Why? So here's why. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, and he is as glorious as he is, no one can compare. You can be the the most spot-on, well-dressed, wealthiest, successful, fill-in-your-own-adjectives. You're never going to compare to the glory of Christ. And so if we believe that, and we are servants of Christ, there's no need to compare anything. I'm not going to one-up Christ. And that's the the only one that really matters. And so that whole spectrum opens up to me. If I believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, not the the one that you see hanging on the cross, which is its own glory in its own way, but that's not where Christ is now. And where he is now, we can't even imagine. So if it's a glorious Lord Christ, there is no need to compare anything else. There's him, and then there's everybody else. No one's going to get close to that. So what does this mean? Well, when we look up to Jesus, it prevents us from looking down on others. There's no other place that we need to focus. When we're talking about eternal salvation, when we're talking about the things that really matter, you know how I said we take things for granted because they're just always kind of there? This is one of those things. We take Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness and his truth for granted because it's just always there. And we think, well, it'll be there when I need it. In case of emergency, break glass, and there is Christ. What if we didn't put him behind the glass in the box? What if we actually drew him into our lives and lived as Christ would live? We wouldn't be looking down on anybody because our focus would be pure. Our focus would be on Christ and Christ alone. And I think that's what James is trying to convey. I was doing so well. There we go. All right. The last line, the closer of this whole thing is, If we do this, if we do this comparison that James is talking about, we become judges with evil thoughts. Now, I know most Christians, and word serve included, we don't wake up and our feet hit the the floor as we get out of bed in the morning and go, you know what, today I'm going to become a judge with evil thoughts. That's my goal. I don't don't think you do. Do you do that? (laughs) I don't do that. 
I don't do that, but sometimes I become that. Because I allow my mind to wander, I allow my focus to drift off of Christ, I begin to make my own judgments about people and what they can do and what their worth is, and I fail to see them as Christ sees them. That just happens sometimes because I'm not intentional about centering Christ in my life. And if we believe what James is saying, I have just become an evil ju- or a, a judge with evil thoughts. It's not my goal. But that doesn't really matter. What matters is, how do I live? Because intentional or not, we do it all the time. Maybe not so drastically, but we, we make our own little judgments, do we not? Uh, I make my judgments about my kids all the time. Not anymore, they're grown. Now they make judgments about me. But hey, that's the way it works. Uh, <laughs> so I, I make judgments about people like, oh, there's no point in asking them, they're worthless. But they're not. And that's what the message that Jesus has for us. There is no one that is worthless. So while we don't think that we want to do that, we sometimes accidentally fall into that. Now, why we don't show favoritism? There's a million examples that we could think of. Susan Boyle is one of them because you saw that transformation as she came out. She knew what was inside her, but no one else did. And if she had not had that opportunity to showcase herself in front of the world, no one else would have known either. We can't judge a book by its cover. We actually have to open the cover and spend some time reading the pages of that book. I think that's a message that Christ has for all of us. So let's look at three examples of people in the Bible that will show you why it's not a good idea to judge a book by its cover. And while I'm thinking of these three examples, you can probably think of someone in your life whom you may have judged by their cover, but not the contents. So let's start with this guy, King Saul. If you want to read the whole story, you can find this in the the book of 1 Samuel, particularly starting around chapter 9 is where they start the selection process and King Saul comes to power. And the whole reason that Saul got chosen was that he was the people's choice. Notice what I'm saying. He was the people's choice. He was not God's choice. And there's a big difference. Why was Saul selected? Well, the nation of Israel was looking around, and they saw all these other nations that had kings, and they looked like they had their act together. It's almost like, you know, if, if Wordser were to look around at all these churches that look like they had their act together, not that we don't. We do, but in our own way, because life is different. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop right there before I dig a hole. <laughs> but, but they looked around, and they saw all these nations with kings, and power, and majesty, and and splendid architecture and maybe armies for security. And they said, you know what? We want to be like other nations. Now, stop for a minute and pretend that you're God. You are the God of these people whom you have chosen. And they're saying, we want a king. How do you feel? I I just imagine God's conversation going, but I'm your king. Why do you want a human? Are you rejecting me? Israel, are you breaking up with me? And they were. They wanted to be just like everyone else. They wanted to have those human elements of power and majesty because God had become not enough for them. But it doesn't end there. Because when you look at King Saul himself, you can read this. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. The Bible says, quote, he was well-built and handsome. Kind of like me. But... um, (laughs) 
Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm, I'm small built and very ordinary. But So King Saul was picked because he looked like a king. He was taller than most of them. He looked regal. He looked impressive in his armor and everything. But if you remember back to that story when Goliath came along and challenged, who was the tallest, most well-built, best-armored warrior in Israel? King Saul. So why didn't King Saul go out and face Goliath? Because while he looked good on the outside, there was something missing on the inside. You start to get the point. And King Saul had some serious character flaws that you couldn't see until you got on the inside. Things like self-exaltation. You can read all about it in 1 Samuel. Things like he didn't really know what he was doing, and he certainly wasn't interested in listening to anyone else, least of all God's prophet Samuel. And so he quickly degrades. And you can read that whole story. I'm not going to go into it. That's another sermon series, right? But King Saul degrades quickly, and there's trouble in River City. Along comes another guy that we can't judge from the outside named David. Now, the prophet Samuel was sent to Jesse's family because he was told, in this family, you're going to find the guy that I want, God's choice for this king. If the people want a king, okay, great. We're going to give him a king. But I want my choice to be king. So go to this guy's family, and you'll find the one you're looking for. And if you read that story, it goes something like this. Jesse lines up all his sons, except one, because he's out watching the sheep. He's the youngest. He's the runt of the litter. He's a ruddy little kid. That couldn't possibly be the guy. So I'm going to line up all my good, handsome sons, and this surely is one of them. Samuel looks at them all and literally goes... Is this all you got? Because <laughs> I'm not feeling it. And Jesse said, well, there's, there's one, uh, David. He's out in the field. He's minding the sheep. He stinks. He's a runt of the litter. And Samuel says, no, bring him here. And sure enough, that's the guy that God's looking for. One of the things that we learn about God is God does not look at the outside. God sees the heart. Now, that should encourage us and terrify us at the same time. Encourage us because it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. And I'm not making a plea to abandon personal hygiene. Right? But what I am saying is the most important thing that we can pay attention to is what's on the inside. That's where real beauty comes from. That was, as a father of three daughters, I have to put this caveat in here. That was one of the things that I always tried to stress to my girls. Because if you look at society, whether that's social media Facebook, Instagram, or whatever is current for kids. If you look at women's magazines, it's all about looking a certain way, being a certain size, uh, appearing a certain way, saying certain things. None of that is real beauty. Real beauty comes from the inside and who you are there. And real beauty, what's the word I'm looking for, um, kind of comes out of your pores, Right? Again, not a plea to abandon personal hygiene, but you can sense when someone is a person of peace and has that depth, something that is attractive on the inside. But to do that, you have to take the time to get to know them. You have to take the time to open the book and read and appreciate. So that's real beauty. And guys, while I don't have any sons, I do have grandsons. And so what well, okay, so they're too young to figure this out yet. But what I will tell them is, you want strength? Here's real strength. 
Strength isn't the size of your biceps, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Strength is what's on the inside. Strength is being grounded in Christ, the one who could not be conquered, not even the grave, not even death could conquer this one. This is the one that will be standing at the end. This is the one that was standing in the beginning. This is the only one that will be standing in eternity. I would stand with him. And if you do that, your feet will be on a rock. You will not be moved. That's strength. So guys, if you want strength, I'm not saying don't spend time in the gym. It's okay to be healthy. I'm not saying don't watch what you eat. It's okay to be healthy. I'm saying let's not freak out and devote our entire lives to the size of our chest or our biceps and miss leg day or whatever. Right? Let's focus on real strength. Let's focus on lasting strength. That's the strength on the inside. That's the strength that comes from Christ. And gals, if you're looking at a guy, look for that. Take the time to open the cover, read the book, and appreciate, and you will see what real strength looks like. So David uh, is one of those guys that is a, uh, he, the Bible literally says he is a man after God's own heart. Is he perfect? No. In fact, uh, he's guilty of some serious sins. Again, another sermon series for another time. David is not perfect, but that's not the point. David knows where to turn to come back to God, and he does it repeatedly. That is strength. What's on the inside matters way, way more than what's on the outside. One more guy to look at here, and this is, the, uh, this is another Saul, <laughs> but this is the New Testament Saul. <clears throat> New Testament Saul fills me with two things, dread and hope. Now, it fills me with hope because if this guy who murdered Christians, literally tracked them down and stoned them to death, could change and be used by God, then by golly, there's hope for me. I've never stoned anybody to death. I've never hunted down Christians and murdered them. So surely God can use me too. But it also fills me with dread, and here's why. As we talked about before in this series, sometimes God asks you to be the person to approach Saul, that person that you couldn't possibly see any worth in, that person that maybe you're afraid of, and for good reason. Can you imagine being a first century Christian and going up to Saul and saying, hey, I'd like to share Jesus Christ with you. I just saw you stone Stephen to death, but I think I can say it in a better way said no one ever, right, and, and live. <laughs> so imagine being a first century person called Ananias. Saul, who has been an absolute terror, been traveling around, literally killing Christians, hunting them down, has this blinding experience on the road to Damascus, and he is blind, dead blind, cannot see, and he's been this way for three days. And now you're a guy named Ananias, uh, there's three Ananiases in the New Testament, so don't get confused. This is the guy to whom God says, Ananias, I need you to go to this place called Straight Street. There's a guy named Saul there. I need you to go tell him that he's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. If I was Ananias, I would be going, okay, God, <laughs> how about the best two out of three? Let's try this again. <laughs> what do you need me to do? <laughs> but no, there's no wavering. 
God's guidance is clear. Now, to Ananias' credit, I don't know how terrified he was, but he did it. He actually went to Saul, the murderer, delivered the good news, and Saul got his sight back. Now, I can't imagine anything more terrifying than here is my one chance. If I'm in the Christian community, now pardon how I think, but you have to understand where I come from. I'm in the Christian community. That's kind of like guerrilla warfare. Paul, or Saul, excuse me, Saul represents, represents, I don't know why English just got so hard for me. Paul represents the society, the oppressive society. And not only that, he has the power to kill us. I've been directed to go and deliver some news to him. He is currently in a house, blind and helpless. You know what my first thought would be, absent Christ? This is my chance to strike a blow for the kingdom. I could, I could off him right there and save everybody's life. I could be a hero. And you may be thinking, you're a pastor? <laughs> I am now. <laughs> Thank God, right? But that would be what I would be thinking. Now, Ananias was thinking, God, what do you need? And God was able to use Ananias to turn Paul, and Paul was being used then to preach the gospel, gospel to the Gentiles. Think about this for a minute. If Ananias hadn't done what he did, we would not be here today talking about Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for just a minute. How terrifying that would be for him. But he pulled it off, and Christ pulled it off through Paul. He became known by his Roman name because he didn't want anything to do with his old self. He wanted people to understand the new self, the self that was grounded in Christ, that loved his neighbor like himself and knew who Jesus Christ was. Real strength, real beauty. That would be terrifying to me, but I'm so glad that Ananias did what he did. So what does all this mean for us? Well, basically it means that uh, we don't want to make the mistake of being misled by a first impression. How many of you can complete this quote? There is no second chance to make a... But with Christ, there is a second chance. And the impression is only so deep. What I'm talking about is the very depths of our soul. Impression is the outside. Christ is the inside. And here's the cool thing. When Christ gets in us and begins to come out of our pores, as I said before, it doesn't matter what the impression is. It gets pushed out from the inside out. And people can see Christ and not the falseness of what we're trying to appear as or be. I'm never going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I get that. Does that mean I can't be strong? Yeah, it depends on how you define strength. We've already talked about that. I'm never going to be, uh, who's a popular male actor that looks good? George Clooney, right? I thought you were going to say Bill Hogan, but that's okay. <laughs> Got a complex coming up now. All right. Uh, I'm never going to be George Clooney. I'm never going to be whoever's uh, younger current uh, example. But can I exude beauty? I can exude the beauty of Christ if I let Christ work through me. Real strength, real beauty. Don't judge a book by its cover. You remember, Susan, the woman who 
came out on stage and desired to be a professional singer. And by the way, I'm not going to show the last video, Matt. Uh, we're just going to pass by that. I will tell you what the last video was. As soon as she stopped singing, you saw the entire audience was on their feet. That applause went for a few minutes. And they went back to the, you know, the judges have to say what they think and if they're going to give a yes or a no. And Pierce Morgan, the, the first guy who was rolling his eyes and scoffing, he said, I have never been more surprised in my entire three years on this show. You came out here and everybody was laughing at you. Nobody's laughing now. Nobody's laughing now. And what's fascinating is that while she said that she wanted to be as famous as Elaine Page, less than a year later after that show, she sang on stage with, guess who? Elaine Page. A childhood dream. The next judge, her name is Amanda, the, the woman that you saw, she, uh, she kind of let the audience and herself have it. Because she said, I can't believe that when you came out here, we were all against you. We were guilty of judging you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, not her exact words. You can look this up on YouTube. But her intent was to say, we were all against you. I've never had a bigger wake-up call, a reality check. And then she went on to say what a pleasure it was to hear Susan sing. And when it came time to give the yes or the no, Pierce Morgan says, absolutely 100% yes. Amanda says, I've never given a more enthusiastic yes in my life. And then it comes to Simon, who says, Susan, you can go back to your village. With your head held, head held high, because this is three yeses. And if you follow the show at all, she went all the way to the final round, but she did not win. She came in second place. And you may be thinking, wah, wah, end of story. Not so much. After that, she went on and got a recording label. You can find Susan Boyle albums out there. She got uh, some help with vocal coaching. Not that she was pretty good to begin with, right? But she got better. She shared the stage with some huge, huge names. And currently, she lives in Scotland in her childhood home that she bought from her parents with her cat. And she is now worth $20 million. Not bad for a 47-year-old Scottish woman with a cat. Now, the point of the story that I tell you is not so that you go out and judge yourself by how much money you're worth or how many stages that you sing on. That's not the point. The point is, don't underestimate what God has put inside you and what God can use inside you. Never underestimate the strength, the beauty, and the power that lives in a believer of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what is most important of all was not the stage that Susan Boyle took, but the stage that another unassuming individual took centuries ago. This is how Isaiah describes him. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It would be so easy to judge a book by its cover and just pass that individual by. But if we don't take time to open the cover, maybe literally, to open the cover of Jesus Christ, we may miss the greatest story ever told. We may miss our Savior.
we may miss the power, the majesty, and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Word serve, let's never make the mistake of judging a book by its cover. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for that son, Jesus Christ, who had no beauty or majesty to attract him, but was full with your glory. God, I pray that you would help us to understand today the power of not judging books by their covers. As we look at ourselves to begin with, we may not have a very good impression of ourselves. We may be desiring things of this world that will make us look better to make that first impression, but God, help us to see where true strength and beauty comes from. Help us to focus all our efforts there and let everything else flow naturally. God, as we consider who we might invite, I pray that you would help us to read people like you do on the inside, not the outside appearance, not that first impression, but the depth of your grace and your love. And God, as we become a welcoming community and people begin to walk in this door and experience you for who you are, help us to see them as you see them, Love them as you love them in your beauty and your strength. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.